Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be here with you all. Um, my name is Joel. Uh, I know many of you. Um, many of you know me because I typically am uh, in and out, sitting in the back, doing, doing uh, things. Um, today, I have the, the great privilege of opening up God's Word with you, uh, especially on a day like this. Uh, this is a, a big privilege for me. Brian and I have been walking uh, this road towards ordination for uh, close to a year and a half now, maybe a year, something like that. And so to be able to be here today is just a huge culmination for him and his hard work. But even more than that, it's a beautiful picture of Christ's kingdom advancing um, once again. Uh, no matter how much it feels like Christ's kingdom is retreating, it's advancing, and Brian is going to be another signpost for that. So if you would, please take out your Bibles or take out your bulletins, and I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, we don't stand out of respect for me. We stand out of respect for the speaker who is ultimately saying these words to us, which is God himself. So pay careful attention to the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read what's in the bulletin, and then um, this morning God laid another passage on my heart. So I'm going to read a little bit out of that, and then we'll, we'll, move, uh, we'll move into the sermon from there. Uh, this is John chapter 1, John chapter 3, and a little bit out of Matthew uh, chapter 11. Pay careful attention. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed. And did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? <laughs> um, he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said later on, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, John chapter 3. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear, wit bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, 
but I must decrease. Now Matthew chapter 11. Um, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you now, um, and we thank you that you speak to us. So God, we wait to hear from you, and we long to hear from you. Lord God, I pray that you would be with us now, that you would open up our hearts, that we might hear your word and know what's going on, but Lord, that you would soften our hearts so that as we hear it and we assent to its truth, God, you would produce change in our lives. Lord, help us to see ourselves in John the Baptist. Grant us that. Lord, I pray for your minister that anything he says that would distract from this message Lord, that you would just remove that. God, forgive our sins for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, John the Baptist uh, was a wild man, um, literally and metaphorically. Uh, He has always been um, this figure that is interested and kind of confused me. I didn't really know what to do with John the Baptist uh, or John the Baptizer. Um, I mean, being a minister of the gospel is difficult enough. And yet here you have John who is this sort of transitionary prophet. This prophet who is seeing out the old. He's kind of the last guy in a long chain of prophets. He's seeing out the old and he's bringing in the new. He's starting something new. You see, John the Baptizer looms large on the landscape of ministry for me. He's like a big mountain that I'm always afraid to climb. Because I never know if I'm going to make it. And in many ways... Um, I can understand the prophets of the Old Testament, right? They're called to prosecute a covenant. But John the baptizer stands outside the religious structure of his time. I don't know if you've ever known someone who does that. They're those kind of outlier people who just stand outside and don't really care so much about fitting in. Um, They just stand there. Um, Kind of like a witness to the fact that they don't fit in. Um, Fully confident in themselves. Fully confident in what they're doing. In many ways, this is John the baptizer. He's standing outside the religious structure of his time. He's not there to make the Pharisees happy. He's not there to make the Sadducees feel good about themselves. Um, He's there as a witness. You see, in John the Baptist, I think we see a pattern for ministry in a modern context that, it's, that has given itself over to the upward mobility narrative of America. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Um, 
the upward mobility narrative of America. We all know this, right? Um, for, my, for my parents' generation, it was like, I want my kids to have a better life than I do. So I'm going to work really, really hard and I'm going to do all the right things and I'm going to save money. I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to pay off that house. I'm going to invest in my, in my 401k. And then when I die, my kids will do better than me. For my generation, it's more like, I just want nice stuff. So I'm going to work really, really hard. So I have nice stuff, a nice house, a nice wife, a nice car. A nice career. I want nice stuff. For my kids' generation, it's like, I want as many likes as I possibly can get. I want hearts all the time and followers. I've got to know. It's the upward mobility narrative that drives us. Over and over again, drives us to work harder, to do more, to be better. It's the never-ending treadmill that you find yourself on. When you go to lay down at night at the end of the day and you're just like, really? Tomorrow? <laughs> Already? I'm exhausted. John the Baptist stands outside of that. And I think he provides us this beautiful, this beautiful picture of humility in the middle of that sort of context. And so we're going to look at this today. We're going to look at these four passages and just think about what the shape of a pastor's life should be. And in many ways, what the shape of our lives should be as Christians. So we're going to look at this in four ways. When a Presbyterian minister read four, reads four passages and has four points, most people get nervous. Don't worry about it. I'm going to try to get it done quick. Here we go. First one, when you're tempted to pride... Confess Christ. When you're tempted to pride, confess Christ. So often, uh, as a minister, I'm going to step back a little bit because I feel like I'm feeding back a ton here. Um, uh, when you're a minister of Christ, there are so many people who want to pump up your ministry. Uh, they want to call the church your church. Oh, that's Pastor Joel's church. That's Pastor Rob's church. And in many times, uh, like, you're kind of like, yeah, you're right. Like, I am pretty good at ministry. Um, your pride takes over. You see, John the Baptist is standing out in the middle of the wilderness. And he's having this, uh, these people just flock to him to be baptized by him. And the religious elite, they send out their, like, little, their little uh, emissaries to him to say, who are you? John, who are you to think you can do this? Tell us. We need an answer. You're outside of our box. We need an answer. Um, now, we know John's, uh, John's response, but we also know our own hearts, right? Um, we know... Uh, that when, uh, when people, uh, especially the pastors in this room know, that when people are awake and are paying attention to your sermon and they're locked in, you're like, yeah, I must be on it today. And then when somebody falls asleep and rolls out of their chair onto the ground, you're like, go home depressed, you know? Um, you see, this is totally anti-self-promotion. John the Baptist 
says something completely different. This is the anti-social media, right? A, a lot of pastors, they post things over and over and over again, trying to pump up their ministry to get people in, engaged, get people involved. Um, man, Satan must really not want this. Um, you're thinking you're the one who makes everything happen. People are asking you, how do you do it? How are you this good? Why aren't you in a bigger church, a bigger ministry? If only I could get time with you. Uh, a long time ago, I heard a, a minister say um, that he wanted to get put on the, on the front of his door to his office uh, this verse, uh, this saying by John the Baptist, uh, Behold, I'm not the Christ. Um, and the reason he wanted that is because he thought people were walking in to see him. Um, because, you know, he could make a change. He could make a difference. He could make things better. And I've always been fascinated by that. What's John's antidote? to self-promotion. Well, it's confession. It's confessing who he is in light of who God is. You see, confession isn't just us asking God for forgiveness and telling him what we've done. It is that. But confession is saying, God, this is who you are. And this is who I am in light of who you are. You see, John the Baptist realized who he was. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. I'm preparing the way. I have my place. It's not on the cross. It's not on the empty tomb or the right hand of the Father. My place is to confess I'm not the Christ. You know, Jesus faced a similar temptation to self-promotion. Uh, it comes to us when Jesus is led into the desert by, uh, by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And Satan, what? Yes. Is it this? Is it too far away? Yes. Yes. Sorry, brother. A great spot. Um, <laughs> Jesus is tempted to self-promote. If you're the son of God, show the world by who you are. Make a statement. Throw yourself. Angels will come. Big display. Jesus' mom tempts him in the same way at the wedding at Cana. Son, make the water into wine. Just do, what, do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> um, right? Jesus, it's not my time yet. You see, we don't know what's going on in his heart. And while he nailed his confession, we know our hearts were a mixed bag. Our words may be the same. Brian, your words may be the same. But we think, um, we may think, I'm, I'm not Jesus, certainly, but I'm pretty darn good. Um, you see, Jesus was perfect for us. As I've meditated on the sign on my door, 
I began to realize that in my case, if I ever was to have a door to hang that sign on, the sign would be less for the people walking in, and it'd be more for me to remind me. Second thing, first, a pastor confesses Christ. Second thing, when you feel you have the power to change people, point to Christ. Uh, Jesus shows up, and John the Baptist is like, there he is. <laughs> there he is. You see, people act in so many ways as uh, you are the one whose ministry saves them, or their spouse, or their children. And the scary thing is that the pastor starts to believe it. Power can be an ugly thing. Um... It makes people angry, discontent, controlling, jealous, and just miserable to be around. You see, John the Baptist had huge success in ministry. People flocking to be baptized by him for the repentance, for, for the forgiveness of sins. He's doing this, and people are lining up. And yet, all his ministry was done in anticipation of the person coming after him. And he sees Jesus walk in, and it's like he bursts with relief and joy. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I've been telling you about. This is the one who can and will and is going to change everything. The next day, the same thing happens. But there's an issue. A couple of John's disciples are like, well, if this is him, we're going to start to follow him. And Andrew and Peter leave and go with Jesus. It's fascinating to me that all the while John is pointing. He's pointing to Jesus and even as people are leaving him and go, going to Jesus, you don't see bitterness in him. You don't see anger in him. Because he knows his place. His place is as a person who points. A person who shows the way. We're to shape our work in such a way that we're a signpost. We point the way, the way to wholeness, the way to life, the way to joy, the way to forgiveness. You see, we're not the thing ourselves. We're the sign that points to the thing. Here's an example. I always think of pastoral ministry in two ways. One is a signpost and the second is a window. Uh, kids, I don't know about you, but uh, when Disneyland was open, I was pretty pumped uh, about Star Wars land, about Galaxy's Edge. I was super pumped about it. Maybe adults, you're that way too. Um, and I can remember us going, and all the way we were seeing signs. And pretty soon the signs changed from like, you know, normal Disneyland signs to like Star Wars signs. And then we saw the sign for the Millennium Falcon. 
Now, it would be utterly ridiculous for me to stop right there and say, Behold, the Millennium Falcon. This is the ship. It would be ridiculous. Everybody would be like, what are, you, what are you talking about? No, the sign pointed to something much greater than it. Much more beautiful than it. Much more fun than it. And honestly, I mean, it was fantastic. I got to sip blue milk, which is amazing. But I wasn't there to see the sign. I was there to ride the Millennium Falcon. I love photography. I love taking pictures of buildings. In fact, this building is beautiful, right? Um, the architecture... Many of the windows, I love it. And there are a lot of ugly windows in this world. Um, we've got a, a particularly ugly set of them on my house. Um, but what's the deal with a window? Well, it, a window, especially a beautifully shaped window, wants to make you look through it to see what's beyond it. You see, a pastor is not just a signpost pointing the way, behold the Lamb of God, but he's a window where people can look through him and in his own broken way, they can see Christ. You see, when we think we have the right mix of good advice, we, mix our, we miss our calling. Um... John the Baptist knew this. He knew it. He knew he was a voice crying, pointing, being looked through. So that people would see the one who is so much better. Jesus, the Lamb of God. He's the one with the power to change people. Through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one to bring about his kingdom. You and I are willing participants in that as we work with him. And yet it's our job to show people the way to Christ. Third point. When people measure you against other pastors, the pastor fades away so Christ can get all the glory. This is the a perennial problem in the church. I mean, honestly, um, you don't have to read very far into the New Testament uh, to hear the Corinthian church saying, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos. And then the super spiritual people are like, yeah, I'm with Jesus. Like they fold Jesus juke everyone else. We see this all the time when a church plant moves into the same neighborhood as another. There's friction. What are you doing here? Why are you doing this? Why here? Why now? You see, people are into measurements, into success, into nickels and noses. How much did we get in the tithe offering this week? How many people showed up? They're into percentages. How many people go to this ministry or that? And all the while, they miss the people. So often... We elect elders who are better businessmen than they are shepherds. 
You see this, you don't have to look very much further than the rise of like the American celebrity pastor to see this reality. When measurement becomes the point, pastors turn from kind shepherds to cruel taskmasters, always wanting more and more, all measurements, all comparisons. Uh, I can remember in my pastoral ministry seminar class, we had a discussion about what makes a church successful. And the question was, is it, uh, is it uh, fruitfulness or is it faithfulness? Is it how many people show up or how good you are at holding to the truth? Which is it? And people are like, who's right? <laughs> we see this exactly with John. People show up and they're like, who are you? Aren't you, aren't you worried? Jesus is baptizing over here. Like he's getting more people than you. Doesn't that bother you? Aren't you concerned with the status of your ministry? John answers them in this beautiful way. He must increase and I must decrease. Eugene Peterson in his translation, uh, <clears throat> the message says this. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sideline. What a great, what a great message. You see, this is what we're taught to pray for when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Notice it's thy, not my. Right? Um, it's Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You see, in this prayer and in this John the Baptist way of ministry, we're putting Jesus in his proper place. And we're taking our proper place. Another man, another person, another Christian in line with all of the ones who have come before us. Why? Because when Christ is glorified... We enjoy our work. <laughs> we do what we love to do. And we're frankly enjoyable to be around. A pastor like John the Baptist is called to preach the gospel. To die and to be forgotten. Last point. Last vignette. When you doubt your confession, <coughs> you doubt your pointing, you doubt your fading, you doubt whether it's all worth it, Jesus gently restores. John the Baptist in our last passage in Matthew is in prison. Uh, he knows what's coming. Um, he's facing a point in his life when he understands that he's about to die. And he's like, okay, Jesus, like, are you actually the one? Seems like a reasonable question to ask, right? Um, Jesus, I'm about to die. 
are you actually the one? Are you the Messiah? I want to know if it's all worth it. Because if it's not, I'm bailing out of this thing so I don't die. As a minister and as a Christian, there are so many times <clears throat> when you're forced to ask the question, is it all worth it? Things go bad. People are hurtful. Things don't line up the way you hoped they would. Your life doesn't work that uh, out the way that you hoped it would. And you ask the question, is it all worth it? Jesus is most likely sitting with a crowd. Getting ready to teach them. And John the Baptist, uh, his disciples show up. And they're like, Jesus, we got to know. Like, are you the one? John sent us. And notice what Jesus does. <clears throat> Jesus responds so gently to that. He responds in such kindness to John the Baptist's doubt. He says, without pride, so gently, without being power hungry, so lovingly, not seeking to, to compare himself, he reminds John of the prophecy. He reminds them. Among, and, then, and then the most beautiful thing happens. Jesus, in the midst of his sermon, this great sermon, Jesus says, Amongst women, there's no one who's been born who's greater than John the Baptist. Here's this person struggling with doubt. Jesus, are you really the one? And Jesus puts him up, builds him up, He tells them, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. Deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. You see, in all of Christian, in all of your failure, in all of your doubt, in all of your burnout, in your questioning whether it's worth it or not, Jesus forgives. Jesus restores. Jesus gently reminds you. And then Jesus is pleased to use you to build his kingdom. In a world that wants more, bigger, faster, more compelling, Jesus must be the centerpiece of our ministries. When we fail and we make ministry about us, the beautiful thing is we take our place in a long line of ministers who've done that. But the beautiful thing is God still calls us as broken vessels to pour out His grace into other broken vessels. He loves us and He forgives us. So Brian and the people of Resurrection Pres Presbyterian, may God make you and all of us here people who confess Christ, 
who point to Christ and then move out of the way so that Christ can gain all the glory in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you, uh, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And we're so grateful, God. Um, we're thankful that you, you have saved us, you have commissioned us, you have moved us so that we might become uh, pieces, parts of your kingdom for your glory. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless the remainder of this service. And God, we pray that you would give Brian fruitful ministry as he confesses and points and moves out of the way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.